Thanks for joining us for a podcast from the Illinois Early Learning Project. Our project is part of the Department of Special Education at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and funded by the Illinois State Board of Education. On this podcast, we share information about how young children grow and learn, as well as strategies adults can use to help them thrive. My name is Rebecca Swartz, and I am one of the project staff members. Today, we welcome Michelle Pat. Michelle Pat is an early childhood educator, consultant, and writer. Her work emphasizes learning through exploration and experimentation. She writes about the integration of art and science into preschool classroom activities to encourage children's problem solving and innovation. Michelle is preschool supervisor at Howard Area Community Center, a preschool for all and Head Start program in Chicago, Illinois. She joins us to discuss strategies for encouraging young children to engage in purposeful play. Michelle, we're so excited to have you here on the Illinois Early Learning Project podcast, and we're hoping that you can start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming an early childhood teacher and leader in the field. Yes, um, I'm so happy to be talking to you, too. I'm a preschool administrator at Howard Area Community Center, which is a Head Start Preschool for All program on the north side of Chicago, and and um, before moving into administration, I taught preschool in toddler and preschool age classrooms for a little over 15 years. And one of the things that I found when I was teaching is that I was having all these rich conversations with colleagues about what to do in the classroom, but that the things that were most interesting about those conversations weren't what materials bring into the classroom, which is something teachers always want to focus on is, well, how do you actually decide what to do with materials? And so through these conversations with my colleagues, both at my center and at other centers, I came up with the idea of starting a blog that would talk less about what specific material to choose for the classroom or how to set up a craft activity and more about the process that teachers go through when trying to decide how to approach materials, how to interact with children, and how to focus on what the children are doing with those materials through their play. Neat. So we've noticed that your blog really focuses on explaining how children play and interact with materials, their environment, and peers in a meaningful way. Can you tell us what you call this kind of play? I tend to call it purposeful play. And um, I think lots of times when we're thinking about children's play, we're focusing on the kind of catchphrases that children learn through play and Play is children's work, which of course it is, but there are different aspects to play. Like, play by itself is a joyful, enjoyable activity, and play can be valuable for just the joy and experience children have, but there's also a different aspect to play that really involves learning. Um, So, I think of play in terms of purposeful play that is actively scaffolding children's learning. Not to say that the other types of play aren't important, but when children are involved in purposeful play or another way of thinking of it is process play, they're building skills that are leading towards a certain goal. And it might not be a goal that teachers have set for them. It might be the goal that a child has set for themselves. Like, for instance, a child who approaches blocks with thinking, I want to build something with these blocks. It might not be a defined something, and it's certainly not being defined by the teacher, but the child's approaching 
those materials with some sense of planning, some sense of time management, some sense of deciding what they're going to do with those materials. All right. So it sounds like there's many big benefits to children about these opportunities to explore in these open-ended ways. You've talked about children planning, and you've talked about um, understanding that children may have an agenda. Are there any other benefits to this type of play that you think teachers should consider? There are really so many benefits, and it's really across developmental areas because having the opportunity to, for, well, children having the opportunity to explore the materials themselves gives them a chance to develop all sorts of skills related to self-regulation and executive functioning. Because um, when we put out, when we as teachers put out materials or activities for children, they're following our agenda. And there is a lot of development of cognitive skills and um, social interaction that can come around those. But the real rich development comes when the children are discovering the problems for themselves. Like, for example, I can put out an activity on a table and give children directions on how to sort something, and they'll be able to do it. But if they're approaching materials that, let's say, they're not all that familiar with, and I just say, I wonder what you can do with this, that opens up a whole different set of cognitive, um, access to cognitive skills, because the children are having to do um, planning, they're having to think about what they're doing, they're having to do a different level of social negotiation with each other as they figure out what they should do with these materials together. And so it adds a different layer of opportunities for problem solving and social negotiation skills and language as the children are figuring out what they're doing with these materials. So you're really encouraging teachers to curate the environment in a way that allows for children to access these higher level skills. So they're they're kind of like, um, almost like a museum uh, or setting up a display that children will interact with, but they don't necessarily know where the play is going to go. Right. I mean, since teachers do know the children who are in their classrooms, though, I have a pretty fair idea of where the play could go and also even where they want it to go. Like, I think one of the things that's challenging for teachers with dealing with process play is trying to figure out that balance between the teacher's agenda, because we there are skills that children need to learn. There um, are standards that there are standards that we want to follow in the classrooms. There are um, things that we know the t- kids need to learn, and at the same time, we want to value the children's ideas and figuring out where to blend that together. So, one of the things I encourage teachers to do is really think about not only what the materials are, but what the children will do with those materials. Like I like to call it planning with verbs. So lots of times we focus on, oh, what thing am I going to bring into the classroom? What materials am I going to order for my classroom? But focus to what is it that we see children do? Um, focus on the verbs that we see. That's really interesting. So focus on the verbs and try to think about what might happen, what children might do, the actions that they might carry out. Right, and I think one of the areas where sometimes this is easiest for teachers to get started thinking about this are in concepts related to math or science, things where we're already doing a whole lot of hands-on things with children. So, for instance, you know, I brought up block building before that 
when observing children in the block area, um, are the children building tall structures? Are they wanting to incorporate parts and um, experiment with things that roll? Are there other kinds of schemas that they're using, like rolling objects, sliding objects, um, built with very young children, building towers to knock them down, which we know is something that young children do as they're exploring basic concepts of physical matter. And so starting by looking at what the children are doing with the materials and thinking about ways to enrich that, like what other materials to add onto what they're doing. And um, this can also be in other areas too, like I brought up math, you know, we very often focus on, oh, can children make patterns? Can children sort? Can children count? So noticing that, oh, there's children who might be interested in sorting objects, what sort of objects can we give them so we can give them opportunities to practice those skills of sorting, categorizing, subitizing those skills. And I know you mentioned that you, you are a preschool for all site and a Head Start site and that there are standards that teachers need to meet. And at our project, we spend a lot of time trying to help teachers and programs use those Illinois early learning and development standards in their planning. So it sounds like maybe by focusing on the verbs and what children might do with materials is one way that teachers can start to give those process opportunities uh, to children in the classroom. Right, exactly. Um, the standards don't say that the teacher needs to be deciding how the child will, for instance, you know, bringing up um, sorting as an example. The standards don't say how the, or the standards don't say that the teacher needs to tell the child how to sort. The standard is that children should have experience with sorting objects. So the teacher can follow the child's lead and provide opportunities where the child can figure out what schemas they're using to sort objects, and the teacher can provide different objects for sorting rather than setting up a sorting activity where the children are given directions on how to do it. Sure. So we know that we don't have to just sort those color bears by color or size, but rather we can ask children then to look at a set of objects and come up with the, the schema or the criteria for sorting that makes sense to them. And as you said, that's a richer experience. That's when we're really doing those standards. Right. And, and actually, and then um, the teacher's part of this, too, because I know I was talking about this a lot in terms of just the children's play, but the interaction between the teacher and the children are, is really important. As the children are engaging the play, the teacher is there scaffolding the play and engaging in that kind of rich conversation to encourage concept development. Um, noticing what the child is doing, asking questions like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen if you dro drop this ball in this place. Or, oh, I noticed that you sorted these bears into three piles. Can you tell me how you decided to do that? And so drawing out some of that math and science language, but also using that language with children to encourage concept development. And I think that's where this sort of play can really get at some of those higher level standards because the children are having to do a lot more planning on their own. And so we're moving from the simple of can you sort, um, can you sort, can you count, to children being able to explain their reasoning and to 
and to um, get to some of the standards that have to do with higher level of reasoning and thinking and language. That's really interesting, um, especially because then that gives children a chance to think about and talk about their thinking, which is uh, important for them as they continue to progress through their schooling um, to be able to be aware of their learning and that they are active in that process. Um, so I, it sounds like you've talked about math and science and arts as opportunities to do this process play as opportunities for teachers who maybe are a little unsure. Are there any other advice that, or points of note that you might want to tell a teacher who isn't sure how to get started with allowing this type of process play in her planning? Yeah, I always encourage teachers to start small. I think anytime you're starting on a different sort of curriculum approach, it can be really overwhelming that there's a lot of ideas out there, a lot of materials out there. Um, and Thinking about starting small, just maybe with one type of material in one area of the classroom. Like, for instance, um, you had brought up counting bears. Let's say you have counting bears in your classroom. Coming up with some other material that has different characteristics that you can just put on the shelf next to the counting bears. So it's not a complete transformation of your math area, but just one material you've added to see how the children use that before you move on to something else or um, adding something that's more open-ended into a dramatic play area. For instance, um, in addition to having whatever plastic or wooden food objects, some teachers might bring in a basket of pebbles or a basket of seashells and put them right next to them and see if the children start incorporating those into their play. And I think really it is important to start small, not only to deal with any anxiety teachers have about this new approach, but also that gives teachers a chance to really observe what the children are doing and follow the children's lead in a different way than bringing a whole lot of different materials into the classroom at once. That's really interesting because then also um, it's possible that children will come up with ideas and that it will, it naturally flows to the next kind of opportunity to do this type of play. Exactly. And when it is something where um, starting out, there's just one new material in an area or just one or two new materials in the classroom, that really gives this opportunity for this rich dialogue between the teachers and the children about this concept. Oh, I wonder what you could do with this. Okay, I wonder. And that's a really important thing. I wonder. And that's a very active verb because it's uh, wondering and, and possibilities. So I wonder, you know, if I wonder as well, uh, if you ever hear teachers worrying about how children are going to just make a huge mess, how might you help a teacher get past that barrier? So I think I think the starting small just naturally helps get past the barrier. I think um, many times those of us have seen um, the photos of classrooms that are completely open-ended materials or loose parts can even as adults just feel very overwhelmed that there's so much stuff. So I suggest things like starting small with a small amount of materials. Like if, for instance, when I brought up um, putting a basket of shells in the dramatic play area, it might be a basket that just has 12, 15 shells in it. So something that won't make so much of a mess that if it does get dumped out or the pieces get scattered, it's something that's manageable for the children to be able 
to take care of the materials and for the teacher not to feel overwhelmed. Or starting some of these activities in a more contained space. Um, I think another great area for starting this open-ended play is in the sensory table. Yeah. This is where children are doing open-ended child-directed play. And one of the nice things about sand tables or water tables, they already have size. And so if you're thinking about, oh, what would happen if I brought a whole bunch of little pieces of pebbles or rocks or something else into my classroom, they'll get all over. Starting them in a container that has size can give the children a chance to figure out what they're going to do with them and give the teacher a chance to see what could be the next step in moving them somewhere else in my classroom. So it's almost like scaffolding, not only scaffolding the child's play, but scaffolding the teacher's development of this play so that it's in a controllable way. Yeah, so children are part of the management the management, because they're learning to use the materials as well, which includes um, being able to move them about and use them safely. And I think that's a great point to start small, to start with one thing or a few things and then keep building on that type of pay, play. Right. And then it's the, it's the teachers and children developing the ideas together because um, then once the children are used to using whatever the new material is in one area of the room and the teacher is also comfortable with how the material is being used, then the next step is to think, well, where else could we use this? Like um, one of the things, when I think about things like the counting bears, you know, children always want to bring the counting bears out of the math area and use them with blocks. And a lot of rich math activity can come up when they're using them with blocks. Um, children just all on their own will come up with ideas like seeing how they can compare the size of a line of counting bears with a unit block. And those are the types of activities that if a teacher presented them might not be interesting, but when the child comes up with them on their own, they're really engaging. And so having those opportunities to start using the material in one place and then teachers allowing it being moved to another place can expand that concept development. That's so interesting because free-flowing materials can be really difficult for teachers who, you know, really want to help keep a, an organized environment, um, and they may not have thought about how uh, allowing, you know, some movement of those materials, but also helping children learn to put them away and take them out and allowing children to think about how they'll use the materials could actually help the children become part of that process of maintaining that environment. So really interesting to hear about and to think about. Um, I'm curious, you mentioned seashells and you've mentioned pebbles. Are there any other favorite materials that you often invite teachers to start with when they're beginning this type of process play? Let's see. You know, really, I encourage teachers to look at what the children in their classroom are doing and what they're most interested in first because um, the same materials don't necessarily work in all classrooms or all children are engaged in them. Um, besides, like, thinking about these little objects, I also think about sensory materials in general. They had said um, sand, water, Play-Doh, clay. These materials that children are already using in open-ended ways. So generally when we put um, water in the water table, the teachers rarely have an agenda they put on the water. So children tend to approach water play already in a very open-ended, free-flowing way. 
And so I encourage teachers to just think about what are the things in their classroom that the children are already using in open-ended ways and what they can add to that first. Right. I love that because it's, again, focusing on those verbs. What are they doing and becoming an in-tune observer and then allowing the planning to flow from that. Right. And and part of this is also thinking about what both children and teachers can handle. And I think sometimes we forget that in any conversation about curriculum ideas that it is really important that both the children are engaged in what's the teachers bring in, but also that the teacher feels this is something that's manageable and that they can handle. And I think this is where in whatever we call this type of play, you know, the kind of play-based approaches or process play, there is a lot of room for teachers to get overwhelmed, and that can be a barrier to being able to encourage this kind of play in your classroom. Um, and so where the eventual goal should be that Children can use a variety of materials in many areas of the classroom in open-ended ways in their play, but it can't start there because teachers, teachers also need a chance to figure out, well, what are the routines that are going to go around um, this material, like you had said with cleanup. Um, there are always, whatever the material is, whether it's a little bit of something or a lot of something in whatever area of the room it is, Teachers and children need to have time to develop a plan for how will this get cleaned up at the end. And I'd say that that's part of the learning process in itself, too, because I think one of the things that's most valuable about this purposeful play is that children are part of the entire process, not just doing an activity, but determining together with the teacher what things they'd like to have in the classroom how they're going to use the materials. You know, this is where we start to see a whole lot of innovation. And I think another way I might talk about this play is innovative play, because if we're really talking about encouraging some of those, what we call the 21st century skills or STEM skills, it isn't just about problem solving in terms of solving problems in an activity that's given to you. It's the children coming up with what the problems are that need to be solved themselves, which in real life situations are ever evolving. So determining how everything's going to be put away at the end or which materials can be moved from one area of the room to another is part of the learning process, not just um, an organizational tool, but that's part of the social negotiation and the language development that the children are doing themselves. All right. Well, you've given us so much to think about, and I'm sure that many teachers will find this very useful. And uh, I, we will put a link to your blog so that teachers can take a look at what kinds of process play is going on in your school. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that we'll have you back again on the podcast so that we can talk further about next steps that teachers can use as they explore this process play. Okay. Thank you very much. The Illinois Early Learning Project website at www.illinoisearlylearning.org is a source of evidence-based, reliable information on early care and education for parents, caregivers, and teachers of young children. Thanks for listening and for helping the children in your home, classroom, and community have a strong start in their early learning.